0: Acts chapter 14, this morning, Acts chapter 14, and we're going to come to the end of chapter 14, verse 21 through verse twenty. text this morning. Come to the end of the, the first, come to the end of the first uh, travels of Paul. His first missionary journey comes to an end here at the end of chapter 14, and he makes his way back to where he started in Antioch. But, Back in Syria some time ago, uh, God called out Paul and Barnabas to go on mission for him. to go out. Now, Paul had already been told and already knew that his part in the plan of God was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And here was that, that open door that God had given to him. The church at Antioch recognizes that, that call and sends he and Barnabas uh, and John Mark out on this missionary journey to take the gospel to reach the world. They begin by traveling through Barnabas' home. So they pass out over the, the Mediterranean Sea to Cyprus, where Barnabas is from. And they spend some time there in Cyprus, where they are opposed by a magician and Simon Magus, uh, but uh, find a believer in the proconsul there, Sergius Paulus. And so it's, it's a mixed response there in Cyprus as they set out from cyprus back to the the mainland unfortunately and sadly john mark leaves them and we will see not too far from now the the deep pain that that caused in this small group of of missionaries and what that will mean as they go forward they come to Antioch i knew a different antioch there in the, the region of pisidia and there many believe And uh, But the Jews cause trouble and stir up things and they they have to leave. In fact, they are expelled from Antioch. And so they make their way to the next town, which is Iconium on this journey. In Iconium, again, there are are many believers. They make many disciples there in Iconium, but they hear of a plot to kill him, stirred up again by the Jews and those that, that oppose him. So they escape from Iconium and come to a little town called Lystra. This is more where we were at last week. In Lystra, Paul performs a miracle, healing a lame man. Uh, This puts the the little town into an uproar and and just amazement because they see what has happened. And they want to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods. Um, And that's where Paul and Barnabas give the gospel, that they are not gods, but that they need, the true God. This um, turns into much more issue, and of course, we know how that ends. The people drag him outside of the city and stone him, uh, Paul, that is. Paul gets up from that. He uh, leaves the next day, and they travel to a small town of Derby, this is where we'll pick it up as we go through. In Derby, there are many believers, and uh, things are good for them there. It's less uh, less turmoil and trouble there. It feels like almost that there's more trouble on this journey than than good. We find out later that even though there's all this turmoil and even a stoning that take place through all of this, that there is some lasting fruit that comes from here. You know, the letter to Galatians is written to these churches, and they have issues still to follow. But there is some some good fruit. We find out. You're later in Acts chapter 16, uh, when Paul heads back toward this area, that uh, Timothy is from Lystra. So this town which Paul is Timothy. It may may be that on this that visit that Paul was there, or maybe in the the, intervening time there, that Timothy's mother and grandmother come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and lead Timothy to Jesus Christ. Timothy, of course, is the work of the Christian faith and missionary. Also, in the little town of Derby, we meet another person later in in Acts who comes from Derby, who becomes one of significant friends, Pius. Who will be a strong mate for Paul through his entire journey. So, although there is a lot of turmoil, and although there is a lot of heartache and trouble, there is lasting fruit, which results from the first tumultuous journey of Paul. Now let's come to the end of it and see how it how it ends here in verse 21 of Acts chapter 14. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, and that is in Derby. They returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, we must through many tribulations, uh, sorry, we must, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached to the word in Perga, they went to Atalus, or been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened their doors of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Let's have a word of prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come and to study your word, to learn and to grow, to be encouraged by it. We ask today, dear God, that you would encourage each of us, strengthen our hearts as we pursue you and the mission that you have for us in our life to proclaim the gospel to the world. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this last part of, of chapter 14 is similar to what uh, Luke has done often. He gets to the end of a section and he gives us a, a little summary of what takes place. And that's pretty much what these verses are. It's a summary of the last part of the, the, uh, the passage and moving into what we're about to see. So he summarizes how it goes on. But he's also got a few little things in here, which he's interjecting things like, at the end where it says how they see that god opened the door to the gentiles this is setting us up for the conflict that is going to come in chapter 15. so it's a it's a summary but also just a a gentle uh movement into the next thought now it is father's day and and what we're looking at here this morning is is not a father's day or parenting message and that's not what i intended to be. But in this message, I see parallels. I see parallels of what happens here with Paul and these people, what it is like to be a parent. And so I think as we go through, you will see some things that will help, that will encourage direct us as we look through. I think Paul kind of saw it this way and saw his life this way. You know, he talks about people like Timothy and Silas as his sons in the faith. He says in 1 Thessalonians, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Also, his ministry kind of like that, as a father who was looking after and, and encouraging and strengthening and guiding his children. We are entrusted with the care of children to lead them to Christ and to, to guide them, or to care for them, lead them and equip them. And having done that, we entrust them to God for the good and we let them go into his hands but the principle is bigger here than just that And like I say I don't intend this to be a father's day message because the principle is much larger than that it certainly applies but it is much larger than that it has to do with our life it has to do with our work as believers in Jesus Christ and as a church what does it mean it's about passing the gospel along to others It's about passing the gospel along to the next generation so that the the gospel continues, so that the work of God grows beyond us. So I want to make some short, but I hope encouraging comments this morning on our role to pass the torch, to pass the torch of the gospel along. And the first thought I have is this. There's our role and in our role of Passing the torch along and, and being the people of God, we need to be as missionaries, as ambassadors. We need to make disciples of God. Make disciples of God. Verse 21, where we begin, it says, and when they had preached the gospel in Derby and made many disciples. So said so this is a, a summary, a reminder of the, the lessons we've learned from this, this journey. What can be done? Now, to make disciples of God, it takes the gospel. It takes the gospel. This is why Paul keeps preaching the gospel. and When they had preached the gospel to the city, that's what made many disciples. We make followers of Christ. That's what it is. We're to make followers of Christ, to be uh, presenting the gospel, to be sharing the word of God, to make followers of Jesus Christ. Disciples. This is where it all starts. This is what it is all about. So Paul and Barnabas go into Derby and they do what they have always done. And they preach the gospel just like they do everywhere they go, proclaiming the gospel to anyone who would listen, even to people who wouldn't listen. They proclaim the gospel, that he is the faithful creator, that he is the deliverer says that they made disciples and this is an important part through acts and how he describes what goes on and even through the the new testament even in the great commission that jesus gives us it says to make disciples that is what a christian truly is a disciple a true christian is a disciple that's what christian means christian means disciple of christ or follower of jesus is what christian means I, i like you know we've seen this before as we went through and i told you before when it was known early as, as the way. I like that description of it because it means that people who are following the way of Christ, who are pursuing Christ, that is who we are. We are not called as the people of God to make fans of Jesus. We're not called to make converts to Jesus. I mean, that will happen. Your people will, will become. Passionate or or interested in Jesus, like Jesus, even, and then they will, will fall away. We can't control that. That will happen. Because we can't control how people will respond. But our goal, our aim, what we, we pursue to do in the way that we minister to people and the way we share the gospel is that we want to make followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus, not just converts to a religion, but followers of Jesus. That aim makes a big difference in how we present Christ. If I'm out to make a follower of Christ and not just a convert, it changes how I present Christ because I want people to pursue Christ with their life, not just to add Christ to their life, but to pursue Christ with their life. That's my aim for my children. I want my children to love him and to pursue Christ as it is my aim Everyone I come in contact with, so be confident in the gospel. Be confident in the gospel. Believe the gospel is powerful. Believe that the gospel can change lives. That verse that we're perhaps so familiar with in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Be confident in the power of God. Jesus does save, He's still saves people from their sin even in hostile environments Jesus saves it takes the gospel to make disciples but to make disciples it takes courage it takes courage it takes courage to persevere see what they do it says in verse 21 again and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples they returned to Lystra where he was stoned they returned to Iconium, where he was expelled. They utter, returned to Antioch, where the Jews kept following him around, tormenting and causing problems. They returned along the route they came. Now, they could have continued going on and, and traveled, uh, continued to travel in the same direction they were sort of heading and gone through Cilicia, back to Tarsus and and around they could have kept going that way but instead of still going this way back into more familiar territory perhaps for paul they decide they're going to go back the way they came back to the cities they were just expelled from despite the danger despite the potential for catastrophe as they return to these cities they return just because someone rejects the gospel when you share it to them once doesn't mean you shouldn't do it again and again and again. Persevere. You know, some people like to say that Christianity is for the weak-minded. It's a crutch, they say. But Christianity takes conviction. Christianity takes courage. It is not for the weak-minded. It's for the strong or for those who are made strong and courageous. We do that, it takes courage and we persevere for the good of others, for the good of others. This time there doesn't appear to be, at least Luke doesn't add any detail to us that when they go back through these towns to return on their way, it doesn't appear that there's any uh, drama or, or circumstances which cause problems. It's probable perhaps that because it's just a quick journey back that, um, you know, there's some that say the political situation is a little different as they go back. And that's neither here nor there really may have had something to do with it. But it's probable that as they go back, instead of going in and spreading the gospel so, uh, so widely as they had before, that they're back just focusing on the disciples. Going to those who had believed already, ministering in the places where people had believed. Remember, it says that they're making disciples, not converts. Paul is not not concerned that if he goes into a town and people say he believed and, and then they just say, yeah, we believe. He's not satisfied with that. He wants people to pursue Jesus. So they return. You'll see that in his other journeys. He returns to places where he has been or sends people back to where they have been to encourage and to strengthen. He's willing to take risks. And we need to be willing to take risks to help Christians grow, to help the people around us grow in Christ. We're to follow the example of Jesus. That means being willing to suffer for the good of others, to suffer so that others can grow, see the importance of helping others grow. To make disciples, it takes the gospel, it takes courage, and it takes time. It takes time to make disciples. Paul could have easily gone in, preached a stirring message, had people say a prayer and left. Said the city came to Christ. You know, at one point it says almost the whole city turned up one day. You know, he had this great revival there. Said, look what I've done, and just left the city and gone on. But no, they stayed. They stayed. And then they returned, and they, they, they taught, and they answered questions, and they instructed, and they guided. To make disciples of Christ is going to cost my time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not an easy job to make disciples. It's a commitment of a life. I need to be willing to preach Christ so that people will understand. I also need to teach Christ so that they can grow. And that takes time. It takes time. So be patient. Making disciples is a slow process. You know, consider the 12. You're the first apostles. Jesus spent you know, about three years with them. Teaching and teaching and teaching. And by the time he comes to die, they still aren't there yet. But Jesus continued to teach. He put it into their lives. It's a slow process. Depth doesn't happen quickly. So be patient with people as they grow. As they learn, God is patient with you. This is true as we disciple our children too. We have a number of years and we teach them consistently and patiently be patient as they learn and as they grow to pass the torch on requires that we make disciples of God but also we need to encourage the disciples of God verse 22 continues says strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended or committed or entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Care for the disciples. Strengthening souls, exhorting to continue in the faith. Strengthen their soul. What what should we be doing to disciples? What did Paul and Barnabas spend time doing here? It says when they went back through, they spent their time, firstly, strengthening the souls of the disciples. That is developing depth of character. Developing the, the depth of their belief in heart. Building within them hearts of conviction, resilience, courage. How do we do that? How do we strengthen the souls of the disciples so that they have conviction, so that they can develop depth of character and and resilience in faith? Acts chapter 20 and verse 32 says, now brethren, I commend you to God. So we're in a similar circumstance. This is Paul speaking to the elders at Ephesus. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. How do we do that? How do we strengthen souls? We teach the Bible. We look at the Bible. We explain the Bible. We show them the Bible. We teach what it means. We, we help them understand how to properly apply it to their lives, how to understand it, how to grow in it so that they are not shaken. When turmoil comes and trouble comes, we we are inputting into their lives the strong foundation of God's word, so that when the trouble comes, they are not shaken. Strengthening people by ministering God's word to give a sound mind and a strong heart. So that when discouragement, trouble and opposition come, we're not easily moved. Built up in faith, not double-minded, not easily swayed. We strengthen their soul. We encourage their faith. Versus perhaps the more personal nature of faith. Strengthening souls. That is, perhaps if we're going to divide a little bit, maybe that's more personal. Delving into the the depths of their character and deepening their, their conviction of who God is. And then encouraging their faith. He moves on, he says, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Perhaps this has more to do with the the doctrinal issue, the faith of what they believe. Not just to know the truth, but to abide in it. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 if we know the truth and abide in the truth, truth will set us free. But like strengthening, this this isn't just about telling them what to believe. It's not just a matter of telling people what to believe. Telling people what to believe never makes disciples. We have to show them. We have to tell them what the word of God says and explain it. But he says that we need to exhort. We need to encourage. And that means to come alongside. That little word to encourage or to exhort means to come alongside, to walk With them to lead to build them up by walking the journey with them, supporting, setting an example of living by faith. I think that's part of what Paul means when he said in First Corinthians chapter eleven and verse one, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." That is, he's saying, "Come, walk with me. I'm following Christ. Come, let's walk together." Let's see Christ together. I said it's, it's the, the same goes for our children. We can't just tell them what to do. We need to show it. We need to walk with them in that journey, show them where to go. But also prepare their expectations. This is a very important, at least it's it's in my experience in life, this has been a very important part of making disciples. He says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We need to prepare their expectations. This is why I've said it before. You've heard me say it probably ad nauseum that the the idea of, of sharing the gospel as Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life is not a great way to share the gospel because it doesn't tell the whole truth we need to prepare these disciples for what the reality is for what to expect the christian life is glorious it is wonderful and it is strengthening but it is also hard the way of christ isn't easy the world is going to oppose philosophies are going to differ Faith doesn't make living in this world like living in heaven already. Just because I believe God and pursue him doesn't mean my path is going to be straight and without bumps and without trouble. We strengthen and we encourage and we tell the truth of the Christian life. This life isn't always glorious, but Christ is. We encourage the disciples in God by care for the disciples and by equipping the disciples. Verse 23 says, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended, committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Train them. Here Paul leaves and in each place he's appointing elders and leaders and pastors and he's establishing churches in these cities. Is they gave them a way to live the Christian life without them there. Paul can't stay. He can't be there. That's not what God has called him to do. It's not where he's called to be. He can't stay there. So he has prepared them so that when he leaves, they can continue to live the Christian life. He's passed the torch on to others. Train them, invest in them. See, I like how he says, you know, they didn't just appoint elders, but there is this, this these times while they're there, it says that they prayed and they fasted for them, for these people. The mention of, of prayer and fasting is about more than ritual. So this, this wasn't just a, a ceremony. This is more, this is, this is deep. The prayer and the fasting was with these people in their hearts. They loved these people. They had given their lives to these people and they are praying and they are asking God. They are your people. Strengthen them. Build them up. They had to leave, but they weren't abandoning them. Sometimes people will come and go in our life, but the investment they made in us was deeply personal and lasting. They helped us to grow. They helped us to be encouraged so that we can pass on the torch to others. Making disciples is a very personal exercise. And thirdly and finally, we entrust the disciples to God. Verse 23 says, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended or they committed or they entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Verse 26 takes us to another place. So this is speaking to us about when Paul and Barnabas leave uh, Antioch to go on the journey. It says, for there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Both of those words have to do with entrusting or committing to God. So in verse 26, we see the church at Antioch committing Paul and Barnabas and their group to God for what they have to do. In verse 23, we see Paul and Barnabas committing these churches to God as they leave, entrusting the care to God. The, both of those words, while they are slightly different, have a very similar uh, background or uh, uh, layer underneath them and what they mean. They essentially mean this, to hand them to God for safekeeping. To hand them to God for safekeeping. So in verse 26, we see the church at Antioch praying to God and saying, God, we give Paul and Barnabas and this group to you for safekeeping. They are out of our reach now. We give them to you. In verse 23, Paul, as he passes through these and Barnabas, as they go to these churches and know they have to leave, they say, God, we give these people to you. They are yours to care for now. We have done what we are told. We have done what we could. They are yours now. You care for them. You protect them. This is a moving event. This is what they prepared them for. The time has come to let them go. They've done the work of God in making disciples. Now they must hand them over to God. Say, these are yours. Care for them, protect them, help them grow. We can't stay forever. We can't keep people forever. Even like our children. Our children can't live with us forever. Thank the Lord for that. But we've got to prepare them to go, don't we? We spend a lifetime, we spend a big portion of our life investing in them, teaching them, training them, and there comes a point where we have to say, God, they are yours. The same is true in our Christian life. We invest in people and we we walk alongside people and we disciple them. And there comes a point where we say, I have done everything I can in their life as who I am. It's time to let them go and let them pass the truth on to someone else. Trust God has to do with entrusting them to God. And if I'm going to entrust them to God, I need to trust God. To entrust people to God means I must trust that he's gonna do what's right with it, that he is going to care for them, that he is going to protect them, that he is going to grow them, that He is going to use them. To trust that God would keep them safe, that he would preserve their souls. So when Paul and Barnabas were sent out at Antioch, they handed them over to the grace of God. We do this. We hand them over to God for safekeeping to make disciples, to continue to grow in God so that they can repeat the process, so that they can do for others what we have done for them. And the process continues. To continue to grow in God, why does it happen like this? The work we do in strengthening and encouraging is so that they can grow in God. So they can walk with God in their life. We're not making our own disciples. It's not about having people follow me or you. We're not making disciples of ourselves. We're making disciples of Jesus. They need to learn to follow Jesus. The one they have believed for salvation. We make disciples so they will continue to grow in God and so that they can continue to do the work of God so that they can make disciples. So they can continue the process on. We're passing the torch to someone else and we will move on and we will do uh, uh, the same thing in somebody else's life and they will move on and they will do the same thing in somebody else's life, in somebody else's life, in somebody else's life, in somebody else's life. Maybe God will bind, bind them all together, and maybe in that binding together, he'll send some this way and some that way and some this way to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. This is how we have churches here, right here in Perth, because Paul did this in Derby and Lystra and Iconium, and they did it beyond their borders in their regions to continue the work of God We are gathered here today to make disciples, to make disciples, to be strengthened in our souls. That's why we gather together as one, to be strengthened in our souls and to be encouraged in our faith. We do that as we minister God's word to one another, as we Help each other, not just understand the word of God, but as we apply the word of God in our relationships with one another, in our counseling with one another and our strengthening of one another. As we live out our faith in front of one another. As we walk our faith with one another. We do that so that we can reach new disciples for Christ and we can teach them We live this in a real world. So we need encouragement. We need the encouragement. We need the strength of soul that comes from gathering together and building one another up. Because it's a difficult world to do this in. So thank God that we have people that are investing in our walk, that are inputting into our lives, who are praying for us, who are fasting for us and our growth in God. We don't know what God has ahead for us, for any of us, what tomorrow will bring. But we trust that God intends to preserve our life, to do what is right. God, this church, these people are yours, so give them grace. Give them grace for the work that you have called us to to make disciples, to pass the torch along. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its growth, its strength in our hearts. We pray, dear God, that it would encourage us and move us as we pursue you. Help us to be disciple makers to be investing in the lives of others, to walk alongside one another so that we can encourage each other to make disciples who make disciples. We thank you, dear God, that we are the result of that very process. Somebody shared the gospel with us, taught us and trained us, and we continue to invest that in others. Dear God, let us see the the blessings and the fruit of our life. We thank you and we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.